Welcome to another episode of the SAEM Rams Ask It Your Podcast series. My name is Hamza Ajaz. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by Dr. Lewis Nassin, who is the Department Chair of Emergency Medicine at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Definitely. So let's start from the beginning. What interested you about emergency medicine? Well, when I was uh, finishing up medical school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Like many others, I was attracted to many different parts of medicine. I started out my career in actually in general surgery, and after my first year, relative, I didn't really like it very much, and I was looking for something else to do. And I remembered what I did like about medicine was the diversity of the emergency department and the ability to manage undifferentiated patients and really come up with a diagnosis to implement a plan. Back then, there were actually different models of residency. We had programs that were one through three programs and programs that were two through four programs. The one through four model happened, but it was very common. So after having done an internship, I was able to enter a two through four program, which fit perfectly so I didn't have to repeat my first year. And that's really how I wound up in emergency medicine. All right. And, you know, so you practice emergency medicine for a number of years now. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what continues to keep you interested in what we do. Well, the biggest change in my career really was seven years ago when I became chair of the department. And I had spent most of my career as an academic. I was a medical toxicology fellowship director. I was a, you know, academic clinician. I was involved with, you know, a lot of activities, but not very involved with clinical operations and finance and other things. So the change to my new job really opened up a new doorway to, to a whole load of new education and opportunities to really grow what I'm able to do. I still get to practice emergency medicine in the emergency department and obviously taking care of patients and working with residents and working with communities is the best part of what we do. But the attraction to academic emergency medicine is the ability to continue to grow. And every day you go to work and you feel like you learn. I still love going to work. I still love my job. Yeah, that's incredible to hear, right? Like in emergency medicine, specifically academics, right? You get the opportunity to, the lifelong learning mantra that we have is there's always something new to learn, especially something, a specialty as broad as emergency medicine in terms of what we encompass in our EDs. There's always something new to learn. So, you know, it's nice to hear that, you know, you continue to learn, uh, even though you're a seasoned veteran at this point in time, there's still there's still learning to be had as you keep going in your career. Yeah. And not only do I learn about medicine and, you know, about new things I didn't know about, but I learn about myself. You know, and every interaction you can look back on and say, could I have done that differently? You know, did I de-escalate properly? Did I teach the resident properly? Did I talk to the family properly? I mean, and every day you continue to improve. All right. I love hearing that. Now, let's transition a little bit to some of your leadership roles. You are now the president-elect of AACEM. Uh, so what are some of the challenges that academic emergency medicine is facing from your perspective? I think academic emergency medicine is facing the same existential crisis that all of emergency medicine is facing. And I'm sure we can talk about some of those things, but certainly the availability of opportunities once people are done with residency, which, you know, is part of the workforce report, what's happening to our residency programs to the match and where our candidates coming from, some of the issues with billing and being able to maintain solvency as a practice and an income as a clinician. Each of these things weighs heavily on us, and there's really no one thing that concerns me, but as a whole, I think emergency medicine really has to take a hard look at what we're doing. It's still a great specialty. I don't have deep concerns that we're going to suffer for the long term, but I do think there's going to be a couple of years here that we're going to have to persevere and get through this. This is not unique to us. It's happened in other specialties. I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but I do think we have to understand that there are some challenges ahead. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You know, there's definitely some challenges that you have appropriately pointed out there. You know, I think the last couple of years has been a little bit more of a spotlight on our specialty in terms of the clinical environment as well as some of the political environment or, you know, surrounding our specialty. You talked about the work, you alluded to the workforce report. So let's dive a little bit into that. What is your interpretation? Just for the listeners, you know, there was a couple of years ago, there was a workforce report that was a analysis, a prediction model, basically stating that by 2030, that there was going to be a seven to 10,000 surplus of emergency physicians. I want to get your thoughts in terms of where we stand today at reflecting on that report. You know, the report has facts in it that are probably true. A little of them are probably not what we thought they were going to be because we didn't plan on COVID, for example. Exactly. The report was being, you know, prepared. But, you know, facts have to be taken in context. And while it might be true, for example, if you model it the way they did that there'd be 8,000 too many emergency physicians, you have to really look at what that means. I mean, what other things are changing? We know that many people are leaving the field, so that's going to change some of the needs. We know that people are looking to work fewer clinical hours and taking alternative career paths and, you know, leaving emergency medicine or cutting back on emergency medicine, particularly in academic emergency medicine, where, you know, part of the goal of many people is to develop a niche area or a sense of expertise outside of the clinical practice of emergency medicine, which is, which is a little unique in emergency medicine, because in many specialties, the subspecialization leads to more advanced care. In emergency medicine, subspecialization leads to less practice of emergency medicine. So I, I do think we have to think about what that report really showed and contextualize it. So I'm not really that concerned that we're not going to have jobs for people. I think the jobs are going to be there. I think the world's going to be a little different. Part of the messaging that we have to do to others and to ourselves is the management of expectations of what an emergency medicine career looks like. There will be clinical jobs always. We are a specialty that has a relatively short lifespan in clinical medicine. I mean, shorter than many. You don't see many 90-year-old emergency physicians. <laughs> it's just a hard specialty to stay that long. But so many of those people, rather than retire, move into alternative careers that they enjoy. And emergency medicine provides a great basis to do anything in healthcare. As you know, we are the nerve center of every hospital and organization. We learn skills that most physicians don't really have to know about how to manage, you know, people and departments and things on the fly, things that are going on around us. And we have to always be able to do the right thing and make the right decision. So I think the workforce report has some facts that may be true, but I don't think that interpreting them in the gravest possible way is the right way to approach it. We have to remember that we're working in a changing landscape. There are going to be market forces that act upon the specialty. And if you enjoy it, you will have a job. I'm not concerned about that. Yeah, you know, the advice that I give to medical students who are considering, you know, this specialty is if you're truly passionate about emergency medicine and the clinical aspect of what we do, you should 100% apply for the specialty. You know, when it comes to some of these extraneous factors in terms of whether there'll be a job, where that job will be, you know, I think some students get, and some of the social media portrays this issue about the workforce as a truly doom and gloom picture. And I agree that with you as well as the other chairs I've chatted with as well, that it's not truly a doom and gloom picture in terms of there's some truth and merits to that report, but the when no one expected and anticipated the pandemic, and that's going to potentially lead us in a completely different trajectory. So it's for, you know, for everyone who's listening, in terms of when you're looking at the workforce report, it's helpful to know that there's merits to that argument and to that report overall, but it just has to be taken into context, as you were mentioning, in mm-hmm. terms of what are the variables and where do those variables stand today, given, you know, factoring in the pandemic and what's that done to the overall economy and market. I agree. And, you know, we are a little bit of a canary in a coal mine 
as a specialty. Many other specialties are following the practice pattern that we established when we established our specialty 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Shift work, hospital-based medicine. Many practices are moving into groups or into hospitals. Many specialties are developing very focused practices like laborists and hospitalists, for example, trauma surgeons who really work shifts. I mean, many other specialties. I have colleagues in orthopedics who've become part of large multi-specialty groups. They now work, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday, no weekends, although that's not emergency medicine either. <laughs> but at least the pattern of working shifts and handing off patients is something that's developing. So that's good and bad for us. I mean, on the one hand, it does take away some of the lifestyle benefit that many people have often touted as an emergency medicine advantage. Although you have to remember that working shifts and signing out patients still comes with the other side, which is working nights, weekends, and holidays. But these other specialists are going to have to do that too. I mean, you can't just not have a laborist available on a night, weekend, and holiday. So they're going to grow like we did through some of these changes and Ultimately, I think the things that are affecting us that concerns like the influence of private equity and for-profit medicine on healthcare, which are affecting us more than others right now, will affect everybody as their practice patterns and you know compensation models change. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit now about the job market. You alluded to that a little bit earlier, you know, when you said that there will still be jobs. From your interpretation, you know, of what the landscape looks like across the country, what is the job market currently looking like from your conversation with other chairs, as well as your analysis as well? I don't know anybody that hasn't gotten a job that wants to get a job. <laughs> you know, and I think in academic emergency medicine, there are a number of, look, when, when I finished residency, that was over 30 years ago, people literally walked out of residency to become chairs of departments. Right? And we've matured as a specialty over that time. And academic jobs have become harder to get. And, you know, some places might have one or two jobs. I spoke to somebody who hired, I think, 17 faculty this year or something, one of the chairs here at this meeting. And... I am not that concerned that there won't be jobs. You might have to have something to offer. And, you know, many of us are still hiring clinicians to do full-time clinical work, and that's a great job. You know, you get to work with residents and others, and you get to teach. And more and more, you're doing some primary patient care responsibilities associated with that, unlike it was a long time ago where everything was resident-driven. But I do think there are jobs in academic medicine, and all of these emergency departments around the country, regardless of whether they're staffed by a private equity-backed contract management group or hospital-run or run by a university, they still are going to need physicians in them. Some hospitals have closed, but as many hospitals close, other hospitals have to pick up that volume which means they're going to have to expand their staff. So at some level, there's going to be a steady state. And given the patient volumes continue to grow, despite our best efforts to not have that happen in the big picture of medicine, there will always be jobs, both in the clinical realm, in the community realm, and in academics. I think that they may be a little harder to get, but they're going to be there. And, you know, I think the, the interesting spin on that particular question is, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult to get a job. And also it matters like the geographical area, right? So it's, you know, if you want to get a job in the Midwest or in the Great Plains area, that might be potentially a little bit of a not as competitive or as difficult depending on where you want to go geographically in the job market. Whereas if you want to go to a large metropolitan area where there's only maybe a couple of or a handful of academic shops, that might be more competitive of a market. So I think I think the workforce, there was some analysis of the workforce study as well in terms of looking at that geographical distribution of where the job market is and where the residencies are popping up is largely on the two coasts, and then there's that geographical desert in the middle of the country where there's definitely opportunity there, opportunities in rural medicine, and it's going to be, you know, 
job of the the train the academic institutions to train residents to ultimately even though they might practice and train in these large academic urban areas to potentially go and practice in the rural medicine and critical access hospitals, whereas there's definitely a need for, you know, board certified emergency physicians as well. There is not a job in the world where you could just pick the place you want to live and be guaranteed to get a job. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you could be a lawyer, you could be anything. You're going to have to still get a job. And there may not be job opportunities everywhere you want to be. That's just life. I mean, medicine's no different. No matter what specialty you go into in medicine, you can't be guaranteed you're going to get to live where you want and have the sort of job that you want. So this is no different. You know, Again, as more and more specialties become hospital-based or large group-based, they're going to look more like us than they currently do. Yeah, it's that supply-demand issue. You know? So if there is a large supply, the demand doesn't match it as well. That competitiveness might might vary, but it's, it's important to keep that concept. And this is general economics and the concept of for the job market, specifically to emergency medicine. It also is very similar to a lot of other specialties as well as non-medical or non-clinical jobs as well. Let's transition a little bit now to some of your involvement with the national organizations, even involved with SAM, AACEM. What do you think, from your perspective, are some of the benefits that faculty, residents, students can gain by being involved in national organizations such as SAEM, RAMS, AACEM? I think there is no national or regional or even local organization that interests you that you shouldn't be involved with. There's benefits to you and there's benefits to the organization and, and the constituencies that the organization serve. First half of my career is very involved in medical toxicology. I was involved with some of those organizations. I became president of one of them, ACMT. I felt that I was able to help grow that specialty and at the same time meet people, network, learn, and the balance was just phenomenal. It was something that really drove me. I've been involved with other organizations, including not emergency medicine organizations. I was on the board of the ACCNE, the CNE provider organization. And I tell you, that was really excellent to meet people that shared my interest in continuing education, but weren't emergency physicians. You know, being involved with these other organizations that you've named, you know, SAM, ASAP, AACEM, it's the same benefit. And I feel like I'm contributing to the growth and development of the specialty. And at the same time, I'm getting to meet new people and learn something every day. Very inspiring. It keeps me interested in what I do and it makes me really want to, you know, come back to work every day and continue to work with the people I work with and let them know what I know and learn from them. I can only see benefit from doing it. It's work. You know, in each of these little commitments, an hour here, an hour there suddenly adds up to a pretty busy work week. But if you enjoy it, it's really worthwhile. I couldn't agree more. You know, like as having been the Rams president, there's been an incredible growth in terms of like professional development and leadership skills that I've gained over the last few years and my board involvement. And on top of that, right, like the fact that you get exposed to these national issues in terms of workforce, match results, having those conversations of, you know, hey, like, what are the issues that the specialty is facing and what can we do as a national organization to advocate on behalf of our clinicians, of our physicians and residents and students, as well as for our patients as well, so that the specialty continues to grow. And then I think one of the unique things about some of the more academically driven organizations is that concept of mentorship as well. And I think one of the things that SAM Rams and AACM does really well is helps you intentionally find mentors within your specialty and within a similar track that you have. Whereas, you know, emergency medicine is obviously across the country is a very broad specialty, but the community is very tight-knit. So I really appreciate and I really enjoy that aspect of being involved with national organizations is being able to interact and get mentorship and network with faculty, residents, students from across the country who have similar interests as myself. Yeah, another advantage to being involved more broadly, like for me, for example, I was on the ABEM board 
very involved with the certification process. And then I transitioned to the chairs group, which has a complementary but slightly different focus. You know, a little work with ACGME on the accreditation side. And before you know it, you're starting to see issues from multiple different perspectives. And you bring something to the table that nobody else brings, which is the background and the knowledge that you gain from those involvements with these other organizations. Um, and you become an added benefit, or at least you feel like you are. Maybe people don't appreciate that, but at least you feel like you have something to contribute. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In terms of, I touched on this a little bit earlier about the mass results recently where there was over 500 unfilled spots in the recent emergency medicine residency hunt. Let's talk a little bit about that. How did we get here and where do we go from there? I mean, obviously it's the sort of the double whammy, right? We've had fewer people applying to the specialty because of the optics we've already talked about, no jobs and, you know, terrible working conditions and COVID and nursing problems, shortages, and boarding issues. So maybe the ideal of the Hollywood vision of what emergency medicine is all about, you know, that expectation isn't going to be met. At the same time, we have too many positions available, about half of which are coming from upstart emergency medicine programs. And, you know, some could argue that those programs maybe shouldn't exist because they're not in the well-heeled academic centers that we're used to. But they have every right to exist, I guess, as much as anybody else, as long as they have the right characteristics to reach accreditation. And the market will figure out where the right balance between those is. And the other half of the programs are from expansion of existing programs, myself included. As health systems consolidate and patient volumes start to increase and hospitals recognize the importance of training programs, it's just natural that existing programs, probably every one of them, I would have to venture a guess, will or, or has expanded already to increase the complement of residents they have. So between the increase in the number of positions and the reduction in the number of applicants, it is a double whammy. That's sort of how we got here today. There's a little bit of a risk with that because we've always been a pretty elite specialty that attracts the best and the brightest from the best schools. And, you know, I don't want to sound too negative or denigrating, but, you know, when you start to have open positions and you're filled with others, you don't know who you're getting. You know, they aren't necessarily people with committed to the specialty. There are often people that we draw from other specialties. They might turn out to be excellent, but they don't have the commitment that we've demonstrated with most of our applicants. And again, you start coming from different schools and different places, and who knows what it's going to look like a couple of years down the road in the specialty. It may be great. It may be fine. Maybe this is a concern that I shouldn't have, but coming from a specialty that was very hard to match into to one in which we can't fill is a little bit concerning, and it's hard to say it is. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the challenge in the next few years for a lot of these national organizations is how do we get the right messaging out to the students who are considering specialty about what it truly is to practice emergency medicine and what is the fact and what are the myths of some of these barriers to entering our specialty and having that conversation and providing that right level of mentorship. I think that's going to be really important to either appease or dissuade and to you know encourage and to discourage you know the applicants in terms of hey what you should truly be looking at when you're considering emergency medicine for a career altogether. Now I want to get a little bit of advice from you as well as we round up half of the hour here. In terms of you've recruited, you've hired, you've mentored a lot of residents and faculty over your career. For the residents who are getting ready to do their first job search out of residency, what advice would you give to them? For an academic job or any job? An academic. Optimally, in a perfect world, I would want everyone in my faculty to have a niche, an area of interest or expertise they want to fall through. Practically speaking, that's not really possible because 
if everybody didn't work a full clinical load, I'd have to hire too many faculty. So many departments have a staff of full-time clinicians who pick up a lot of the clinical load, but get to work with residents and teach and do quality projects and be active, come to conference and those sorts of things. And then the other half of the faculty staffing is through more people with more conventional sort of academic interests, whether it's a subspecialty or health policy or operations or something along those lines. You have to decide which one you want to be. Now, it doesn't mean you can't transition between them, but in general, depending on you know how you create your job and how the institutions work, sometimes it's a little hard to go between them. You're in a clinical track. You have to prove your value in order to have hours reductions, for example, but you're working a full-time clinical load, so you have to be willing to put in a little bit of the extra hours. But I would say try to create an impression of what you're interested in. And if you like full-time clinical work in an academic setting, that's a very legitimate place to go. If you have some specialty, if you have an advanced degree, if you have some experience in something else, just make it clear that that's what you're interested in doing. Nothing makes me happier than hiring people who have a focus. Coming in without a focus isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> That part of my job is to help you develop that focus, to help you grow your career. But I want people that want to not just say they want to teach, but actually want to teach. Not just say they want to do research or do some other area, but actually do it and, and show me they've done it. Show me they have the skills to do it, not just an interest in doing it. Because the desire to do something is great, but if you don't act on it, you can't show me you've done something actionable to make that happen. I don't really know you're going to be able to do it. So I think that... How you present yourself and your interests is, is very important. Academic, it's a very re- rewarding specialty on the academic side. And I think these jobs are precious and we don't have a lot of them. And we want to make sure we hire the right people because we want you to be happy. We want you to be able to interact with the faculty. And at some level, I know that everybody that we're looking at is pretty bright, reasonably hardworking, and generally a nice person. Obviously, there are those that aren't, and we hopefully can leave those folks out early on. So we want to make sure that of the good people we hire, that they're going to develop, they're going to be allowed to be developed, and they're going to really enjoy what they do and put on a very positive appearance and then grow the program and grow themselves. Great. Thank you so much for that advice. I really appreciate it. And that just about rounds out our time today, Dr. Nelson. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insight and for your advice. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure.